0: So on our journey through Hebrews, uh, today we come to the end of chapter 6, uh, verses 13 through 20. And this passage is about an anchor. And so I want to tell you a little story uh, about a personal experience I had with anchors. Uh, years ago, uh, our family took a vacation with several other relatives on a houseboat on Lake Powell, Utah, And Lake Powell is huge, and there are literally hundreds of miles of shoreline, and you can spend days just exploring all these different canyons and coves, and it's beautiful. One thing about it, though, is the shoreline drops off very abruptly, and so there aren't any of these gradual sandy slopes that you can, you know beach your boat on when you want to go ashore. So when you do want to go ashore, uh, you, you come up straight onto the shoreline and, and just the front of the bow touches the shore. And then there's a couple of anchors and anchor lines that you actually walk onto shore and then tie off or secure to a, like a big boulder or a tree or something. And the first couple of days we were there, That just seemed kind of like a a formality to me. They they didn't seem to really make any difference because uh, the weather was very calm and there's no current to speak of. The boat pretty much stayed wherever you put it, so it didn't seem like the anchors did much. Well, then on the third or fourth day or something, um, a desert thunderstorm came over. And I don't know if you've ever been in the desert during a thunderstorm, but it's intense. It's intense. And so there's this huge downpour of rain, and all of a sudden, these very strong winds whipped up and hit that boat, and one of the anchor lines came loose, and immediately it started drifting very quickly toward the rocks. And so several of us jumped off and uh, grabbed that loose anchor line, and, and we pulled with all of our might, and it didn't make any difference. The wind was just too strong. And that's when I understood the value of a well-set anchor. A well-set anchor enables you to feel secure and confident and stable when the storm hits. Um, you can have confidence that your boat is not going to get smashed against the rocks well that's exactly the picture that we have here in hebrews chapter 6 when when the storm winds of this world kick up and blow against us troubles hard times temptations whatever those strong storm winds might be when those hit our lives God wants you and me to have a well-set anchor that will keep our peace and joy from getting wrecked, and he has done amazing things so that we can have that well-set anchor. Yeah, and if you're wondering, we we did manage to keep the boat off the rocks, so uh, we didn't sink and I didn't drown, and here I am. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to pick it up at verse 13 and read down through verse 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, that's the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So let me sum up what I believe this is teaching and then I'll try to unpack and explain it so you you can see it here. This is saying that God wants those of us who are believers in Jesus, who've come to the place of putting our trust in Christ, he wants us to hold tightly to an amazing promise of an amazing hope. Because by doing that, by holding tightly to this promise of an amazing hope, doing that will anchor our lives during life's storms. Now, let's think through what this says. I'll show this to you. It tells us, first of all, that God has made a promise. And we all know what a promise is. When you make a promise, you're telling somebody that you are going to do something that affects them in some way. And you want that person to be confident about what you're intending to do so you, you make this promise to them. Uh, wedding vows are a great illustration of this. Wedding vows are promises that we make to our spouse that we're going to be faithful to them, that we're going to be there for them no matter what, in sickness and in health, good times and in bad. And the reason we do this as a promise is because we want to give them assurance. We want them to be confident that we're going to do this. Well, why do we want that? Why do we want them to have assurance? Well, simple. It's because we love them. We love them. Because we love them, we don't want them feeling insecure. We don't want them feeling, you know, like constantly wondering if we're going to uh, be there or if we're going to bail on them. And so... Because we love them, we make a promise to them. Well, that's exactly why God has made promises to us. Because he loves us. And because he loves us, he wants us to be confident that he is going to do everything he intends to do for us. Does that amaze you? Because I think it's supposed to amaze us. That God would do this. That God would make promises to us. Because if you think about it, He doesn't owe us a thing. Especially in light of our rebellion against Him. Because there's no excuse for it. God is always good. He is always wise. He is always loving. And yet we have ignored Him. We've belittled him. We've rejected him. We've, we've acted like we know better than he does. So we'll do what we think instead of what he says. And in light of that, it's just astonishing that God would make promises to us. But that's not all. It also says not only has God made a promise to us, he actually has guaranteed that promise. With an oath. So the writer here is talking about a promise that God made to Abraham. This would be like 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. God made this promise. And if you go back to Genesis and read uh, the promise that the the author here is referring to, uh, the promise is actually stated several times beginning in chapter 12. But in chapter 22 of Genesis, uh, it says this. In verse 16, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. And then he states the promise. So he doesn't just make the promise. He actually binds himself with an oath to fulfill the promise. Why did he do that? Why would God swear an oath? I mean, we we know why we have people swear oaths in certain situations. Like if someone's going to, you know, testify in a courtroom, before they testify, they're required to swear that I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Or at least that's what they used to say. Why do we do that? Because we know that people... Don't always tell the truth. We don't always do that, and so because the situation is so serious, what's at stake is so important that we require to take people to take this extra step of binding themselves with an oath, so that we, you know, it's to keep them honest, to give them a sense of just deep gravity that you, you need to really tell the truth here. But God can't break a promise because if he broke a promise, that would mean his promise was a lie and God can't lie. It's not just that he doesn't lie, he can't. It's contrary to his nature. You know, sometimes we'll say there's nothing God can't do. Actually, there are some things God can't do. He can't contradict himself. He can't deny himself. And that's what would that's what that would be. Well, then why did God swear an oath if we know he can't lie? This is what's so amazing. He did it simply because he wants us to have even more confidence in his promise. So in verse 17, it says, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. In other words, he wants the heirs of the promise to be even more convinced of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He wants us to be convinced. He wants us to be sure. So, get this. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've come to the place of putting your trust in Christ, then you are an heir of this promise. This promise applies to you. And because God loves you, he doesn't want you to feel insecure. He doesn't want you to be wondering, worried if this promise is going to come true. So he guaranteed it with an oath. So what this means, think of it this way. When you put your trust in Christ and you put your confidence you you realize who he is and what he accomplished on the cross that your sin would be forgiven and that you would become a child of God when you did that whether or not you actually heard it God in effect said to you I swear by myself that I will keep this promise I am making to you As surely as I am the eternal God who cannot lie, I will do this. I swear it. That is amazing. So what has he promised? Well, there are many promises in Scripture, and they're all true because God made them, and he can't lie. But here, it's talking about a specific promise. It's talking about a promise that's about a hope. A hope. In the words of verse 18, God wants us to hold fast to the hope set before us. Well, what's this hope? It's not the I hope it happens kind of hope. You know, like when we say, boy, I sure hope it doesn't rain next weekend. That's not the kind of hope you can have any confidence in around here. Uh, that, that won't give you any sense of security. Uh, no, this is a different kind of hope. This hope is a belief, a confident belief about the future. It is an expectation of a good thing happening this expectation, this anticipation of something good that's coming in the future. You know, like when you're on a road trip, and you're going someplace you really want to go, like uh, it's the holidays, you're going to grandma's house, or it's vacation, and you're going to Disneyland or some other place you really want to go, and you're excited about it. And because you know this future that's coming, because you're anticipating that, and it's good, that enables you to put up with A certain amount of inconvenience and and uh, junk on the way so you know you're you're in the car for three days let's say and about the middle of the second day you're thinking man this is so boring but then you remember ah yeah but i remember where we're going i remember what my future is okay it's going to be worth it that's what hope does uh or maybe it's something else good you're looking forward to maybe it's the birth of a child maybe it's graduation or something And those are all good hopes. There's nothing wrong with those hopes. But compared to the hope that this is talking about, those hopes are small. They're good, but they're small. They're like little tastes of a much greater hope. So what is this much greater hope? In simple terms, it's the happy ending to our story it's this incredibly great future that God has promised to those who trust him so if we look at the promise that God made to Abraham so back to Genesis chapter 22 verse 17 God says I will surely bless you And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's a prophecy of victory. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Okay, now look at Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ's, so if you belong to Jesus. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So see, here's how that promise to Abraham connects to us. Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfills this promise to Abraham. He's the ultimate offspring of Abraham, uh, in whom all the nations of the earth experience the blessing of God. You know, this is why Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations, because that's to fulfill this promise. And what what is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise going to be? it's, It's almost too great for words. We're talking complete happiness and total satisfaction in the very presence of God. The psalmist says, In your presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That happiness you're constantly wanting and craving, but can't find anywhere else. That that satisfaction that your soul craves. Jesus is going to give that to everyone who trusts him. And there are so many scriptures that teach us, but I'm just going to run run by a few here. So John 17, 24, Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. We were made to see glory. This is not a statement of conceit on Jesus' part. This is the fulfillment of what we long for. We were made to to be satisfied to delight in greatness to see his glory philippians 3 20 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body that's coming 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles, and here he's talking about all the the hard stuff of this world, and it's not light and momentary by experience, but by comparison. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. In Jude 1.24, To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And there are others we could look at, and to all of these we could add the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. If you haven't read that recently, I encourage it. This is our hope. This is our amazing future that God has promised and guaranteed with an oath. It will happen. It will happen as surely as God is God and as surely as Jesus secured this promise with his own blood. God will never let the death of his son be in vain. And the point of this passage, okay, this is where it all comes down to. The point of the passage is that God wants us to know this and to be confident of this and to be free from any uncertainty, any insecurity. No matter how crazy things get in this world, no matter how hard it gets, how awful in this world, he has made this promise, he has guaranteed this promise, and he has told us this promise so that this hope will function like a well-set anchor in our lives and give us peace and stability when the storms kick in and threaten to destroy us. See, that's the point of verses 19 and 20. It says, we have this, this hope. That's what he means. We have this hope, this expectation of total happiness in God's presence. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Okay, what's all that talking about? Well, if you had grown up worshiping God at the temple in Jerusalem like the readers, the first readers of this letter would have, then you would know all about this inner place behind the curtain. It's talking about the holy of holies in the temple behind a veil, And that's where the presence of God was manifested most directly in the midst of his people. And that place, the reason for the veil is that place was completely off limits for ordinary people, ordinary sinners like you and me. Only the high priest could go in there, and he could only do it once a year and after elaborate sacrifices and things. But When Jesus died on the cross in our place, you can read about this in the Gospels, the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And that pictured something amazing, that God, through the death of his son Jesus, made a way for us to enter into the very presence of God. That's what verse 20 is talking about. It says that Jesus entered the true Holy of Holies in heaven, of which the Holy of Holies, the temple, was just a symbol. Jesus entered God's presence as a forerunner for us. It's a forerunner? Runs before. He went first. And the point is, that's where our anchor is, beyond the curtain, in the very presence of God. Our anchor is not held by a rock or a tree or anything else that that might come loose if the storm is big enough. If you and I have put our trust in Jesus, our anchor is held by God himself. And when God sets an anchor... It is not going to come loose. That's what this is saying. This is awesome. This hope, this anticipation of this amazing future that God has promised and guaranteed, this is our anchor. And our anchor is held by the infinitely powerful God. So you and I can have stability and security in the midst of life's craziness because he's got our anchor and god wants us to hold tightly tightly to this amazing promise of this amazing future because by doing that that anchors our soul in all of life's storms so the question is if that's true Then why does it often seem that you and I maybe aren't securely anchored when the storms come? Why do we, who've been given this amazing promise of this amazing future, why do we still freak out when hard things come? Well, there's some possibilities. One is just simple ignorance. We just don't know much about our hope. We don't know much about how great our future is in Christ. And so that hope doesn't have the kind of power in our lives that it ought to have. And so if we just don't know much about it, then we need to learn. We need to get into our Bibles. We need to learn about our future and and saturate our minds and hearts with it. Another possibility is that we just don't think about it enough because we're too preoccupied with other things. You know, for this, for this hope to really function as our anchor, we've got to call it to mind regularly, especially when the storms come. So of all the things that we could think about, and there's lots of stuff we think about, this is something we should think about most often. So turn off the news and tune in to the promise. Or or it could be that we just keep anchoring ourselves to lesser hopes that just don't hold. And we stake our happiness and we stake our peace on things that we really want to happen. But because they're not this hope, they're just not certain. And he, you can plan a wonderful vacation to a wonderful destination and you can just stake your happiness and your peace on that vacation that's going to come and then along comes a novel coronavirus and cancels it. And I know many of you have experienced that. Or maybe it was something else and you staked your happiness on that and it got canceled. And if you've staked your happiness and peace on something that, that ends up not happening, well, then your anchor line comes loose. We need something greater to look forward to because looking forward to a great future has great power to give you confidence, to give you assurance. We need a future that nothing can cancel. That's what this is. And that's why 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Set your hope fully. Set your hope fully. Set your anchor fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's fine to look forward to other things. That's good. Just don't make them your life's anchor Because they probably won't hold. Only this hope, secured by this promise, guaranteed by this oath, can securely anchor your life. Tie up to this anchor. Let's pray together. How amazing it is, uh, Father, that you you've made such incredible promises to us, and you have uh, applied those promises to us who do not deserve them through the death and resurrection of your Son, promises that you have uh, sworn to keep. And Father, we need we need to know these promises and especially this one of this amazing future that you are going to bring about because you can't lie and you went even beyond the promise and and swore an oath. Lord, we can have confidence in your promise of an amazing future and we need that today. We we need an anchor for our lives. Uh, We need an anchor amidst all the craziness, the storm winds that are blowing and just fill us with anxiety or fear or anger or frustration and you don't want us to be uh, you don't want us to be like that you love us you want us to be confident you want us to be hopeful and you want us to be about the mission you've given us of making disciples of all nations so that they can have this hope as well so help us Lord help us tie up our anchor and give it to you and allow you to hold it Lord, may we may our hope be secure. May we hold tightly to this promise. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.